0: If you're digging the content, leave us a rating and review as that helps us and other fans of pop culture find us. Enjoy the show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to What's My Head podcast. I am joined by Dave Cunningham. If you've heard that name before, you've probably seen Spongebob, you've seen Camp Coral, you've seen the Patrick Starr Show, and a couple other things that we're going to talk about. Dave, how are you, sir? Doing great. Thanks for having me on. Anytime, man. Uh, So... I think we should just get into the thick of it. When was the first day that you popped up on the SpongeBob casting crew, man? Do you remember that first day?
1: You know, I remember the, the first episode, and I remember the first uh, few weeks. Um, and The first episode I worked on of SpongeBob was Wigstruck. It was a few episodes into the fourth season. Um, and I uh, shared an office with Brad Vandegrift, who's still on the show as well. Um, and uh, at that time, um, I... <clears throat> Sherman Cohen had recently left the show and they were kind of still transitioning to who the new storyboard supervisor was going to be. Um, ultimately it ended up being, um, Clint Bond, but at that time, Vince Waller was kind of stepping in and, um, yeah, I remember, I actually remember even like the revisions that got called on my work on that first episode as well. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was a great show, great experience. And, um, uh, I had been coming from uh two very stylized shows in a row, fairly odd parents in my life as a teenage robot. So it took me uh took me a while, it took me actually probably a few years to get all that designiness worked out of my my drawings. But uh yeah, it was I I I was I was very fortunate. I felt I felt like I'd won the lottery, to be honest, because openings back then on SpongeBob were very rare. And um, you know. When I worked on the show for like the first eleven years, like the crew did not change at all. It was the same team the entire time. So you didn't you didn't have opportunities to get onto the show very often. It happens a little more nowadays because the business is a little more, um, you know, just overall. as people are just moving around a little more now these days than they used to. But um, but yeah, I uh, I'd worked on you know a lot of shows over the years. So getting an opportunity to work on SpongeBob, which I was a fan of before I worked on, was a thrill. Now. I've told this story
0: a couple different times on a couple different podcasts but whenever I, you're the first person I've actually had on from the SpongeBob universe so I wanted to share this one with you. Um, I remember before SpongeBob was actually coming out um, like I said I'm from Orlando, Florida and uh, my father had taken me and my younger brother to Universal Studios back in like the early 90s well mid 90s at this point and they had already started production on SpongeBob. Right. They were doing the drawings and stuff. And this is before uh, Nickelodeon Studios had shifted completely over to the West Coast. So they still had a little bit in uh, Orlando and stuff like that. But it was a very bare minimum crew. Right. And when we're going through the gate to get into Universal Studios, they're handing out tickets. They say, hey, we're doing this new show. Uh, It's being produced by Nickelodeon Studios for kids. It's an animated show. Come by. We want to show people uh, some stuff that they were working on. So you couldn't go down into the main floor. So it was up on the second story when you're walking inside the building and you look down and you see board artists and stuff like that. But they had had model figures of, you know, SpongeBob, uh, 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 who else? Mr. Krabs, Sandy and Patrick and Squidward and all these other people, right? So they had model designs and stuff like that. And there was this board artist down there or an artist. He kept ripping shit down, right? He would draw something. He's like, oh, fuck, I don't like that. He would rip it down. Now, I wanted to be an artist and I want to be an animator when I was real young. Right. Everything I thought I did was really cool. I could see something, I could copy it, and I could do it. Right, I could do that. But this guy just kept ripping stuff down, and the the little uh, the little person we had on us that was doing the tour guide stuff. Like, hey, why is he tearing that stuff down and throwing it away? He had his waste waste uh, waste basket just full of trash. It's like, well, if it's not meets the specs or it doesn't match the models or anything like that, he has to redo it. And I was like, holy shit, everything that he's doing looks really, really cool. looks really, really good. And my mom would hang that up on the refrigerator. At that point in time, I knew I would not be an animator and I would have to completely change my life ambitions as it went on. So I got to see like the early beginnings. Like I said, it was a very, very small crew. There wasn't too many people there from what I could remember. And plus, I was really, really small. Um, But I remember just being super psyched for the show. And when this show hit, I was like, holy shit, the game's done changed. You know, back then I was strictly just Cartoon Network. And then when SpongeBob rolled around, you know, I was a huge Shane Arnold fan. But when SpongeBob came around, I'm like, man, there's going to be a reason to click over to Nickelodeon now from Cartoon Network and from Disney. When SpongeBob is hot and heavy for you, how long after getting on that crew did you know, like, holy shit, this is this is hot. This we need to get just pushing and pushing and pushing.
1: Well, I mean, I joined fourth season, so it was already hot when I joined. I I yeah. knew it was good. When I first heard about the show before I had even seen it, I was very excited and and, and intrigued by the name of it, just SpongeBob SquarePants. Yeah. It was unlike anything I had heard going on. It just sounded re you know, extremely silly and, you know, unlike anything else that was on TV at the time. And I was like, that sounds like a fun show. And then when the show came out, you know, I was a fan. I mean, I you know, <clears throat> There was there was names that I actually knew before I worked with the people that I recognized from the credits. Like you know, when you like a show, you just I think you just kind of pick up on the names that you you affiliate with the show and um, you know I mean just in production people Noelle and and Derek Iverson and and you know and then all the artists the Andy Clark's and the Vincent Wallers and and, and Paul Tibbets and just all the you know the the big names from Cohen. Um, you know, so I was when I got on the show, I mean, I had a few friends I'd worked with that were in, in the uh, storyboard department, um, you know, Tom King and, and, and a bunch of people. Um, but, uh, yeah, I was I felt like I joined an all star team, to be honest. And yeah. I, I still I still do. I, I mean, I the you know, when you work on in the business for a long time, I think you appreciate when you get to work on a a quality product, be with the, the best people in the business and on a show that people watch. I mean, it, it hits on all cylinders. That's all you'd possibly want when you're working in animation is, you know, is to get challenged creatively to, you know, work around people that are you know, more talented than yourself and to have people watch your show, you know, for better or for worse, they love it. They hate it. But, you know, the worst was going through your career, working on shows and, you know, a niece saying, what are you working on now, Uncle Dave? And you mention it and it just look of just complete. this <laughs> doesn't nothing's registering at all. Like, oh, that's a show. huh? That's cute. You know, uh, no. Uh, no response whatsoever. You know, they've never heard it, never heard of it, never seen it, anything. But, uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I joined, it was after the, the first film and they were, they were a, uh, a smooth running machine. And I just jumped in there and held on for dear life. And, um, you know, uh, like I said, I, there were times, you know, I'd be, uh, you know, in a meeting with like Vincent Waller, and go, Holy shit, I'm in a meeting with Vincent Waller, man. This is like, this is Ren and Stippy Vince Waller here. And, you know, and, you know, Paul Tibbet and, you know, Tuck Tucker, all these big names, you know, that uh, I had admired for so long. Um, yeah. I mean, I, you know, I still do look up to all those people. I just, you know, but uh, those early days, yeah, man, I felt like I was a rookie that had made its way onto a, an all star team. So.
0: That's awesome. You brought up a name that I wanted to circle back to for just a second because his name came up and we we just lost him uh, not too long ago, but Tuck Tucker, man. Uh, So his name came up. This is the second or third time his name has came up in a couple episodes now, Uh, but he came up with Jim Lang, the composer for Hey Arnold. And Jim Lang told a really cool story. When anybody passes away, that's no longer here that I absolutely wish, you know, we could see more from man, because. Like I said, his name popped up in so many different credits and so many different shows. And it's just it's one of those guys. It's like, shit, man, I wish he was still here. I'm pretty sure, you you know, you working with them, uh, you have that same that echo, that same sentiment. But do you have a, a story uh, or, or a memory with, with Tuck that, that, you know, whenever you hear his name, that's the first thing you think of?
1: Yeah. I mean, I worked with him for, I don't know how many years it was. He was working on SpongeBob. Um, he came on after I'd been there for a little bit. And then um, he worked up with us through the second film. Um, mm-hmm. he, he, uh, I think he retired back to, to West Virginia. Um, I believe it was before we did the second film. Um, yeah. He was a, he was a character, man. Um, you know, I had had a, a girlfriend that was in the business at the time that had worked with him before I worked with them. And she had just, said he's just you know he's a ton of fun he's a great guy you love working with him and it was it was it was never boring with tuck Um, he was a big um april fool's day guy everybody's everybody's got april fool's day you know uh, stories about tuck and uh you know some handled it better than others um but i one day it it was one day when i i you know um you know when, when you're storyboarding You're like, you're knee deep in it and you're focused and you're in your cubicle and you're not paying attention to anything around you. You're just doing your job. You're answering your phone. You're listening to your music. You're doing, you know, you're really insulated. And, um, there was one time when like, you know, I, uh, you know, I used to take a train to work and, and to and from work. And I, you know, there was one day I was like on the train and it was like, you know, it's like, you know, for whatever reason, like I just wiped, wiped my ears and like there, it was just like a really like oily or something. I'm like, what the hell's going on? Like, ah, oh, you know, like I was wiping, and like the whole night I was wiping and I was like, what the hell, man? Like it was like some glandular issue or something. And, uh, <laughs> the next morning, you know, Tuck came by, it was April 2nd. He was like, Hey, so, uh i forget how how he worded it, but it turns out that he had come in early he always would come in early on april fool's day and he put honey all over the receiver of my phone and then <laughs> he called me and i you know i had so focused i just you know put that thing right to my ear with all the honey i didn't even realize i was doing it and i spent all day with like just honey just completely caking my ear and i you know um uh, you know, so anyway, he would do that almost every April, you know, he would, it was like, it was, it was like, uh, you know, the biggest holiday year for Tuck was April fool's day. But, um, but yeah, man, it was, it was, uh, it was really, um, really, uh, uh, devastating blow when we lost him. And, um, you know, he had a big influence on a lot of people, um, uh, uh, experienced in, in a lot of people that are, that have only been in the business for a few years. Um, And, uh, you know, even after he left the show, he continued to reach out to people on the show. He would have, you know, there's a few people that he had um, uh, Zoom into his his classes to talk to his classes. And he would uh, occasionally, he would, you know, reach out to Adam Pelowin and I and and recommend, um, you know, artists that he thought we could use that he really liked. Um, Adam himself, I don't Adam Poloian was someone that came onto our show um, during the second movie and then uh, or came to the joined us in the second film and then stayed with us on the series and ultimately became the third director with Sherm and I. Um, he was someone that was referred to Sherm uh, by Tuck Tucker and uh, Adam is like a force in animation right now. he's a super yeah. talent.
0: Thank you for sharing that story, man. I really appreciate it. Whenever, like I said, whenever somebody is no longer here that, like you said, has just influenced and touched so many lives. And, you know, I always like just giving, I don't want to say giving back, but, you know, the stories will never end. Somebody's legacy will never end as long as we continue to bring it up. You look like you're about to say something. What are you going to say?
1: I just remembered an even better story about Tuck. So I don't want to turn this into a Tuck, you know, podcast. But so... This was, I don't know, I have no idea what year this was, but um, we had gotten a new coffee maker at Nickelodeon, and it was a real nice machine, and it brewed delicious coffee, but it, it, it brewed very hot coffee, and you know, we had this, this, you know, the, the, the kitchen for SpongeBob, like all, you know, studios, it's like a, just a large cubicle. You, do, you go in there, you get your stuff out of the fridge or get your coffee. Then you go around a corner and go back to your cube. Well, one time I was coming around a corner with my coffee and someone else was coming right around the corner. So I had to stop. And when I stopped that hot coffee poured all over my hand, it was all over my drawing hand. And it was really, really, you know, bad. And, um, you know, and, and tuck, you know, you know, I had mentioned, it, I was like, listen, I'm gonna try to draw through right now, I, my hand feels like it's on fire. And then I'm gonna try to just keep on working. And he was like, well, I, hey, listen, I got this home remedy. And, you know, it's, uh, I'll make you, I'll bring you this poppy seed mixture thing that I, you know, something he had done back home when he was growing up, something he knew about. He had a lot of like his little, you know, home remedies he would you know, recommend me uh, try out. And I was like, no, 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 it's fine. I'm just gonna take a couple Advils, see if I can just blast through this. And, you know, I took the Advil, I was in her drawing, it was getting worse and worse. It was like, I can feel my heartbeat in my hand. It was like, you know, it's looking really bad. And, um, and then Tuck just shows up in my, at the entrance to my cubicle and said, here it is. And he'd gone next door to 7-Eleven. He had somehow found the poppy seed, you know, to put in there and, and, and steep it with the hot water and he said, stir it up and sip this and you'll, it'll, it'll help with the pain. It'll be, it'll, it'll make it a lot better. So I, you know, at that point I was like, okay, well, he got, went through all this effort. I'll, I'll give it a shot. And I, you know, I drank, I, I drank it and yes, the pain got better, but then I started mentally flipping, you know, flipping out. I think I was tripping while I was at work because I was drinking this, you know, probably, you know, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, I don't know drugs that I, all I know is that mentally I was soaring, you know, somewhere else there. And, uh, you know, wasn't thinking about my hand, but I wasn't yeah. thinking about work either for a, for a few hours. So, but so I'm pretty sure Tuck got me high at work. Um, Tuck dosed you. <laughs> yeah.
0: That's beautiful, man. Like I said, thank you. Thank you for your um But getting back to you, man. So you're, you're working, it's hot and heavy. Everything's cooking on SpongeBob, right? Um, now, I've asked this question because it's an interesting question to ask, and everybody's got a different method. At what point in time did you start feeling comfortable working on the show? And I mean that, but like a lot of people will go on a show and they feel like they never got the characters like they should have. Was there a point where you're like, holy shit, I know everything about these characters. I'm feeling these characters. Or was it still just a learning curve on a day to day basis now?
1: I still don't. I mean, I think as an artist, I don't think we ever really feel totally comfortable. I don't think, I think it's, you know, you know, I think there's always gonna be a struggle as an artist, you know, um, and, and if you ever, I, in my opinion, if I ever feel like I've arrived and like I have, you know, I, I know it all, I figured it all out, you know, then what's the point, you know, of, yeah. of continuing? I I mean, I, <clears throat> I mean, there's, there definitely were moments where, um, you know, where I felt like there were, you know, uh, hills i got over or like just uh, uh um you know hurdles like maybe going to the next tier or maybe having an insight that kind of opened my eyes and you know, were game changers so to yeah. speak i mean when i was on the plussing team doing boards for the first you know what uh, whatever five six seven years whatever it was um you know it, it would change it would you know my success or failure would, would change from episode to episode. I mean, you could turn in a section that goes fantastic, two weeks later, turn another section and it's not so good. And, you know, um, you yeah, know, not the, I wasn't doing a horrible job or anything, but like as any artist, you know, you're, 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 you're going up and down. I mean, it just, and just, part of, just part of being an artist, you know, is it's an emotional thing. Um, sometimes you're happy with something and someone isn't sometimes, you know, you're both happy, which is perfect. Or, um, So no, I mean, I never, I wouldn't say I ever really felt comfortable ever, you know, uh, before, um, before the second film, but when we got to the second film, that's when um, we, I worked in um, story for the first half of my time there and then um, character layout for the second half of my time. And um, that was an eye opening time for me. Mm -hmm. Um, That's when all of our work uh, as artists were going directly to the people in charge. Um, they were going directly to Steve and Paul and Vince um, and not that there was any issue with the people that were looking over our work before, but the, the fact that I was actually able to get my work seen directly by those eyes was exciting to me and it was it was and it, and it got it, it got me um, motivated really to um, to do my best work and to, um, and to see, you know, what, you know, I, you know, that there were, there were, there was, there was more that could be done to characters that there was a, a higher ceiling than I really ever really, yeah. I, before, you know, there was a certain amount of, well, I can do this, but it'll be shot down or this, you know, this department or this department or this department might, you know, nix it or whatever. But, you know, the fact that we're actually being able to do artwork and going straight to the top and getting seen by the eyes I want it seen by um, was invigorating. And, um, you know, I felt I felt motivated. I felt driven. And, you know, I made a decision. I did not want to turn in any work that I was not 100 percent happy with. Yeah. And at that point, I, you know, at that point, you know, because, you know, I've been working in the business for a long time at that point, And, you know, there's there's the limitations of schedule that always get in the way to but I think at that point, I had got, gotten to a point in my career where I could balance the two things. I could actually make sure that I was happy with whatever I was doing and at the same time hitting deadlines and staying on schedule. Um, the movie schedule also was very different from the TV schedule too. It was much less grinding than the TV schedule. Really? Uh, yes. Uh, Why is that? I figured it'd be the opposite, if anything. Oh, no. I mean, I, you know, I, we, when we were doing story... They would hand out <clears throat> um, requests to the story team say, we want like pitch art. We want <laughs> to pitch the, these ideas, these scenes, these sequences to Paramount. So they give us like a description of what they wanted. And, um, you know, and our, we'd be like, okay, well, what do you need that? Like two hours, three hours? What do you need this by? And they'd be like, yeah, a week and a half um and really yeah they'd get, but they give you time to like render things out color do you know work it out maybe come with a few variations and that's not the kind of stuff you really you don't get to do that kind of stuff when you're in tv animation it's like you know bam 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 i mean you gotta yeah. like but you gotta get through an episode you gotta go through thousands of panels when you're you know boarding and in tv um and it's just a different, just was a different vibe. I mean, when we got to character layout, it was the pace definitely picked up quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I never, on the movie, I never quite felt um, as, as um, hurried and stressed as I do in TV animation. Um, and it was a nice, it was a gr- great experience. Um, I, I thoroughly enjoyed uh, working on the film. Um, I'm proud of, the, of you know, the product that we created. I, I think it's a good film you know especially all the two-dimensional stuff that we worked on most most heavily we worked on some of the cg stuff as well but um but anyway you know that way the reason i brought up the movie was because you know that's when i um i i think i kind of I, I i felt free to kind of go for it and like kind of like, let myself show a little bit and that's when i got noticed by paul Tibbet and Steve and Vince, I think, Um, and that's what led into me uh, moving into a supervising job when we came back to the TV show. Um, So yeah, there were just—I would say there there were—you know—I would say as an animation artist, there were not moments where all of a sudden, like, I got this now. Mm -hmm. There were moments where I there's clarity where I felt like I I knew what I had to do, Mm -hmm. and it was you know that was my experience anyway where yeah. I knew, um, you
2: know,
1: it, 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 it's nice. It's nice when you have that clarity, at least for me, where I, I, I like, I, I know what I need to do to succeed here. And I think I knew what to, I needed to do to, to succeed when we were on the film, mm-hmm. you know, when we came back, I knew what I had to do to succeed as a supervisor, um, you know, um, but yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a good question. It's, it's, and I'm not sure I really answered it or not. Oh, right, but, you
2: did. Um, yeah, you did.
1: Um, but yeah, the, the, it's, I lo- look back on my career and there were moments where um, I, 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 f- I felt like opportunity presented itself and um, I was able to take advantage. And I think that's a lot of what this business is, is there's a lot of luck involved and a lot of opportunity that just presents itself. Mm-hmm. And um, the key is to take advantage and step up to the plate when you get those opportunities. Um, you know, I, I worked early in my career, um, you know, was kind of struggling to find work when I was first getting started and I wasn't any good and worked at a um, internet animation company called icebox.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was, uh, it was like probably you know, the year 2000. And um, that was a wonderful opportunity for me. And that was another opportunity where I felt like I saw, you know, uh, you know, it was kind of a small, it was a small pool and I felt like I was actually a, a big fish in that small pool. Yes. Um, and I saw opportunity and out of that opportunity, you know, I was able to excel um, and I, I made some contacts. I, I, I worked on a show called zombie college, which um, we turned out very well. Uh, I met Eric Kaplan, who um, uh, was a part of uh, Futurama, and he ended up doing a big show at CBS, a big sitcom. He was a big part for a really long time. Um, But um, anyway, Eric Kaplan became, you know, he helped me get into Futurama, and then that steamrolled into more work. And yeah, just, just moments where opportunity presented itself and you just gotta be ready to step up and to meet the challenge. Yeah,
0: hundred percent, man. As soon as that door gets cracked open, you just gotta kick it in so people know your name and people know what you're about.
1: Yeah, what was really special about, and right. I, I know I'm jumping all over the place here, I apologize. But oh I'm no, just, you're fine, we're gonna jump all over the place. Icebox was, was a great experience. That was a, it was all, it was a flash animation company and it was back when um, bandwidth was still an issue. <laughs> and so that's, that's why flash was created so we could view animation on the internet because you know we'd, we'd make these cartoons and each cartoon had to have like some little bit of like very very simple animation happening while you got the loading message while the the, the animated show was loading yeah. and um we did a lot of shows at icebox and there was a lot of super talent that was involved in icebox it was run by Hollywood executives. The whole idea behind Icebox was that they were going to get the best talent they could find, the best writers, the best talent, and tell them, come bring your, the shows you want to make to Icebox. We will animate them for you and pitch them for you. And if, if, if they get picked up by a network, then we take a percentage or whatever it is. Um, and uh, you know, they had some, Larry David had a show there, um, John Kay had a show there, um, a ton of big names had shows there. And um, and so, as artists, we would work on a, on a sh- every single show. had a completely different sensibility, completely different look to it. Um, a ton of different styles were represented uh, at Icebox, and that was that was a great um, skill building um, experience where you had to work on a show for like a couple months, and then completely shift gears and work on another show that had a completely different look and sensibility to it. And it was a great exercise and. Um, and a lot of fun, too, because if you're working on a show that you're not a big fan of, you know, you're going to be moving on to something else in a couple months. Um, and, uh, and so that was that was that was fantastic. That was I mean, there was. You know, that, basically what happened with Icebox is it was uh, they burnt through from what I hear, they burnt through 16 million dollars in one year. <laughs> and, and then the bubble burst on the uh, on the Internet and poof, poof, went Icebox. And we all scattered to the wind, but, um, but it, it, it served me well, like I said, cause it got me on the Futurama mm-hmm. and, um, you know, and it kind of, and it kind of, uh, gave my, my career a boost when it really needed it. So we'll get back to
0: SpongeBob here in just a few, but you brought up Futurama a couple of times. We talked about it before we hit record too. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I had, uh, Billy West on here, uh, not too long ago, obviously for ladies and gentlemen, if you know, Billy West, you know, everything he's done, he was the voice of fry, Doug funny. And then he did some stuff and, you know, he did a little show called run and Stimpy back in the day as well. Um, and they're starting to bring back run and Stimpy now, apparently that's the, that's the, I don't want to say it's the talk at the water cooler or whatever, but I, I think I saw an article about run and Stimpy possibly coming back very soon too to uh, Nickelodeon and Billy being a part of it. Um, What was the first, I don't want to say the first day of Futurama beyond the Futurama cast and crew like, but, you know, does anything about that first day stick out to you? Obviously, we're going to remember a couple different things. We'll remember probably our first day, our last day, whenever we're somewhere. Right. Because those are the most vivid in our memories, because generally the first day is when you make the biggest mistakes you'll ever make. And then the last day is generally like, Oh shit, they threw me a party. They made me a cake. They hired X, Y, and Z, you know, something memorable stuck out, but do you remember what that was like
1: coming to the cast and crew of Futurama? Well, um, it was being done by uh, rough draft in Glendale. Um, and, and I, uh, you know, when I, when I, I, I guess at the same time they were wrapping up baby blues, which was another show. And, um, before I was going to Futurama, they wanted me to help out with Baby Blues. So I helped out with that show for, I don't know, what, what, you know three or four months before I moved on to Futurama.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But um, it was funny, the Baby Blues was located down in the basement below. <laughs> Futurama. And uh,
0: they wanted you guys away.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And Futurama, we got, I got moved up to, uh, to still see sunlight. Um, but uh it was a very it seemed like a very tight crew on futurama and one had been together for a while so it's kind of um you know i i definitely felt like uh you know a, a new kid when i yeah. worked on, on futurama but uh you know they it was a supreme you know uh, crew i mean they had uh, some great storyboard artists they had an amazing layout department a lot of people that i you know, I met a lot of people that I'm still friends with today in the business um, from that experience. Um, but it was also pretty cramped quarters in there too. I remember sharing a cubicle with uh, Steve Fonte and um, and really, uh, the uh, Claudia, I believe was her name, um, ran the uh, studio and she had a dog that she brought into the studio and the, the dog would just wander around. And there were times of you sitting there working and they just feel like a dog snipping your body or your crotch while you're <laughs> <still> working. Um <laughs> it was a cool dog everyone that just rolled with it it was just yeah. i mean i didn't bother me really so but uh um but yeah i mean it was a, it was a that was uh it was a you know that was like one of the first experiences i had working on a show that really placed quality on a high you know really put a supreme focus on on making sure that they, the the episodes were high uh the highest quality they could be where they yeah. were cont- continually trying to make them good until the last second you know we kind of we do that on spongebob as well and i know they do that on simpsons as well where you know it's not it's not like um a lot of shows where you're just you have the you have a schedule you bam 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 off and it hits the air yeah that's it but you know on futurama you know they were continually refreshing jokes and trying to make things funnier and better all the time all the way to air date and um you know, working, when, when, when you work for people that where you, and you believe in their ability to make a quality product, that does wonders for the morale of your crew and, the, oh, yeah. and the, the motivation of your crew too. And, you know, that's a big thing with like a Futurama or Simpsons or a SpongeBob where, you know, um, and one of the things I noticed right about SpongeBob was like, you know, these guys are not gonna let a crappy episode on the air. they just, I mean, there may be episodes you like more or less than others, but they're not going to let it crap the episode on the air. It's, you know, it's it's just, there's too much. These, these people running the show are not going to let it happen. Yeah. So, but Futurama was great. I mean, that was, um, that was probably the first primetime style animation I'd done. And I guess Icebox had a lot of that kind of stuff too. But um, yeah, that was, uh, that was a lot of fun. I learned a lot and got to work with some really talented people, you know, uh, Ron Hugard and PM Zeno and just uh, a, yeah, a lot of really, uh, really talented folks on that show and met some people that I, you know, know today. Uh, I think Tom King was on that and Mm -hmm. Jeanette King and uh, Jeanette uh, uh, or Tolentino. Anyway, yeah, a lot of, a lot of really uh, wonderful talent on that show so it,
0: it, it's it's crazy you you mentioned that you you apologize for jumping all over the place i if if ladies and gentlemen if you made it this far which you have because we're having a great conversation here this chat's kind of go like you guys' imdb credits we start here we might go here but if you tell me you got and i've said this a couple of times but if you tell me you got a haircut the other day by a dude that pretends to be a pirate I'm, i want to hear that story just as much as i want to hear about what's your first day here or there or anything like that was where um but So we're going to jump back to SpongeBob for just a second because you brought up something that I wanted to touch upon. But when you have and you see something like you were just talking about, the cast and the crew is always trying to make a joke better, always trying to do something edgier, trying to push the envelope so they can put out the best product, right? What are some of the... I don't want to say... Well, I guess I'll just go ahead and say that that way. What are some of the things that you've taken from the supervisors that you've, you know, specifically worked for or worked with, or some of the people that you've looked up to that might have been a boss or, you know, just a supervisor, I guess, and tried to implement them the way that you lead a team now? Does anything stick out the most to you that you try to absorb from somebody? Obviously, you're going to take something that you don't like from somebody. Make sure you never implement that. We've all seen that in leaders. If he does it that way and I don't like it, I'm not going to put that in my way because I want to do it this way. But is there anything specifically working on the SpongeBob crew now that you try to implement?
1: You know, I mean, I... I've worked in the business for a long enough time that I've really seen a transformation in the business. The business really is nothing at all. Like it was when I first got into it. I remember getting notes that, you know, if I left today would get me fired within 15 minutes. Um, you know, what the F is this, and, you know, or, uh, you know, sc- things scrawled out on storyboard pages and, you know, I mean, so I, I mean, of course that's like, you know, no brainer stuff. You don't do that kind of thing with artists. Um, you know, I, uh, you know, I, I I would say I work with Sherm Cohen, and I, I I I you know I really have a great amount of respect for Sherm um, mm-hmm. as an artist and as um, uh, someone that that uh, I feel like knows how, you know, deals with with his team in an effective you know effective way. Um, you know, I I would say it, it, it's really the business there's been a lot of like last five years, a lot of, um, greener artists entering the business, which has kind of changed the business and the the complexion of the business. And, um, you know, so the kind of old school way of doing things is not, you know, uh, really applicable anymore. Um, where you just kind of like you're the director, you, you get it in, you judge it, you send it back. I mean, it's more interactive now. Um, you know, there's, um, there's uh, more of a, a relationship um with with the team uh, more of a, a of an effort to support and to um and to teach um because especially because there's so many people that you know are getting into the business now that may not have you know 10 years ago yeah um, because because there's just so much work out there right now and especially in on, in a style of animation like ours, which is kind of like that squash and stretch, cartoony animation. There's just so much going on out there like that now from Cuphead to Animaniacs, to Looney Tunes, to Mickey Mouse, to, you know, uh, Milmo's Post. I mean, there's just so many shows now that are in this style. And so, you know, we used to have this kind of pool of talent to ourselves and now we're just fighting, you know, we're fighting over talent and yeah. we're fighting to discover new people too. we found some fantastic people over the years and um, we continue to. Um, so that's kind of part of the of the of, you know of it too. Um, you know, I would say the the director I am today is different from the director I was five years ago. Um you know, I I try to learn, become better at what I'm doing, um, better for you know my team. Um I'm I'm probably more hands-on now than I've ever been um with with my team. Um as far as people I've worked with that have you know made a big impact, um, you know, when we were working on the second film, uh, when when I, when I was on story, we all worked under Eric Weiss. And, mm-hmm. um, and Eric is absolutely one of the most talented people I've worked with um, in in the business, um, and I felt like I, I I learned a lot from him, and I you know I remain an enormous fan of his work. You know, Mighty Be I think is just absolutely brilliant. Um, and and that was a that was a really great experience, um, and it was inspiring too because he poured absolutely everything into what he did, and um, you know, a very very passionate guy. But I, I I got the best of two worlds because when we finished story, then Sherm stepped in mm-hmm. for character layout and. It was that was like you know a dream come true to work with sherm i'd never worked with sherm before and you know i in working with sherm in the character layout department you know i discovered that there's like nobody in my opinion that knows these characters like sherm cohen and he draws them the best he, he he knows their appeal he knows their ins and outs really really well and um and he's just a super talented guy to boot and really knowledgeable about the business he he draws all day and does cartoons all day. And then he goes home and watches cartoons all night a lot, you know, a lot of times. And, uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I there was a funny thing is that when he came back to work on the series after working on the second film and I was offered a supervising position, there was a very small part of me that was slightly bummed that I was not going to be able to work with Sherman anymore. because I was going to be working, you know, alongside him. Uh, but, uh, yeah i mean as far as people i've worked with that you know i've worked with plenty of people that i wouldn't necessarily you know follow their lead as far as mm-hmm. the way they supervised I, I think i've gotten a lot of examples of how not to lead to be honest i mean, that's not me bad mouthing anybody it's just oh, yeah. that's the kind of stuff that sticks like i don't want to do it this way um um you know um but uh, yeah, and I, like I said, any examples that I come up with aren't really applicable anymore anymore, because like I said, the whole way you, you direct and supervise now is, is really transformed. Um, you know, uh, it's just it's, it's, it's a different role than it used to be uh, just for multiple reasons.
0: Now, with that being said, if you took the money factor completely out of it, right? So if money was no option and obviously as you come into this industry, You're going to be trying a whole bunch of different things, and I didn't really notice this until I had. uh, I'm I'm sure you've known him or you've worked with him. You've been in this industry quite for quite some time. You know, Chris Battle. Oh yeah, right. So he he told me when he came in that he would they would just throw him wherever they needed somebody because you you come in as, as you're like almost like a journeyman. You're trying to get experience. You're learning from somebody. They put you with a veteran, so you try to learn the ins and outs of the industry. And he said he would bounce from you know. BG's backgrounds, you bounce to here or character or, uh, cleanup or side by side, you know, you just do a whole bunch of different things. And I asked him, I'm like, well, what is the most gratifying position for you specifically in your entire career? Because you guys can go so many different ways as a storyboard artist, right? Um, and he's like, I really like the character designs. He's like, when, it, when I was a kid, it was all about who can draw Batman, who can draw Superman. So with me posing all of that information behind this question, uh, if you had to just completely take money out of it, so you didn't have to worry about if you were going to make how much money you're making now or then or whatever it is, do you still feel as like, do you still have the same gratification for directing as you do storyboarding? Or if you could go back to storyboarding, would you love to do storyboarding
1: again? Or are you pretty content where you're at now? I feel like I, I'm, in know, and I can say this honestly. I 100% am happy doing what I'm doing now because right. I have. I feel like I've got more of an ability to to see, have a vision, and see it through than I, mm-hmm. I did before with storyboarding, and or see the vision that a storyboard artist has and, right. and make sure that that is followed through on, um, which is a lot, a lot of you know, a lot of times that's the case. Um, you know, before when you're a storyboard artist, you you turn it in, you hope they like it, and then it goes off, and where it ends up, you never know. You, yeah. you know and a lot of times, you see the animated product, and you're like, "Oh, okay." Either that they replaced my work, or they changed my work, or mm-hmm. they did it this way. I kind of saw it this way. I feel like you know now. I feel like I'm I'm a conduit too for for the board artists, where you know if they if they have a vision you know, I have the ability to kind of see it through to, you know, to choose the right um, audio takes or to, um, you know, uh, um, talk to uh, the timer timing director and and express what we hope to get done here. And just the overall um, scope of directing um, enables, enables me to, have no regrets in terms of episodes to be able to, like I said, follow through on a vision, um, make sure a gag is played out the way it should be, or make sure that um, uh, a design it has it has a positive impact on on the episode everyone's working together i can make sure that you know because any any production sometimes communication you know maybe this person's not talking to this person and right. i you know so i think that being a director i'm able to make sure that everybody is communicating and mm-hmm. on the same page and um i you know i i like result
0: find a way to sharpen that pencil right somebody brings a dull pencil to you like oh, fuck man there's just something wrong with this it's not putting down the right line it's not putting down the right amount of this that the other you got to sharpen it. that's what you're there for you're there to make sure this idea this idea they come together and then everything starts flowing together because when you have peaks and valleys and everything's missing and you know nothing's really cohesive it looks jumbled it looks messed up so i i get i get what you're saying but nonetheless man um
1: I mean, the, uh, the a lot we get, we have some really, really talented people working on the show now across the board, design boards everywhere, and um, you know, and uh, and and I want to make sure that people feel appreciated for when they when they do amazing work, when they bust their you know bust their chops to, yeah. to do good good work and. Um, you know, and I, I, I I know the heartbreak of seeing, you know, something you're happy with and not come through as you envisioned it. And so, um, you know, if I can, if I can help out in that regard, I want to help out.
0: And that's the, that's the mark of a good boss right there, man. You give a shit about your people and there's not a lot of people that can say, Hey man, my boss actually cares about what I do. My boss actually gives a shit because I see it all the time, especially in kids sports. Right. So my kid does sport karate and, We always have like a different instructor coming over, like on Sundays or Saturdays, whenever they're doing team practice, and then they'll pick certain kids and they're like, Hey, I see you doing this. And I see you doing this. And then there was one kid, he's like, you always say something about what I'm doing. And he was like, because I care. If I didn't care, I'm not going to say anything. You'd like, oh, he's just over there throwing a sidekick. Let him throw a sidekick. I'm not going to tell him he's doing it incorrectly. I'm not going to tell him he's leaving himself open from four different angles that he can get hit and struck on. He's He obviously knows what he's doing, right? But it goes to show you what kind of a person he is and how much he gives a shit. And that's what I see in you. You see an artist that might, might be missing something, right? You see one and one, and then you see two, but you don't see plus, and you don't see the equal sign. So a director's there putting those perspectives, seeing the different sides of the coin or the different side of the equation and like i said really breaking it down for these guys and gals that are in your profession and you're you're making your training your replacement is essentially what i'm getting at you're trying to make sure the next wave of people that's going to take dave cunningham's spot as a director that they're well prepared they've been through the trenches they know what they're doing so when they see something like this come up they can solve it and then when they see somebody else making the same mistakes that you might be seeing they can fix those mistakes, and all we're doing is trying to make somebody better. And I, I, like I said, that's a great sign for somebody that is a good boss, man, and a good supervisor. Because half the time, people don't give a shit. So it's refreshing to see somebody that actually cares about their people and actually cares about what they're putting out there.
1: It's not an easy show to work on, man. SpongeBob, they have got twenty years of uh, precedence. and mm-hmm. we're breaking down a lot of precedent. But we still got, you know, we got characters that are on lunch boxes. You can only yes. do, you know, we can't there's not a whole lot of room to redesign a character. It's been around for 20 years. And so, you know, it's, uh, you know, people that people that, you know, do well and succeed on this show, you know, um, are, are super talented
2: mm-hmm. you know,
1: and are, are, are set up for, you know, really, really nice careers down the line.
2: Yes, sir.
0: And uh, so we've hit, we've almost hit that hour mark, man. Well, we've been a little bit over uh, the hour mark. So um, as we start to, you know, come to an end, I always like to throw, you know, fans questions, and I grabbed some fans' questions. Apologize, ladies and gentlemen. I didn't write your names down because it was one of those things. Like I said, I didn't realize like how much work a newborn is uh, because it's been about 11 years since I've had a newborn. Um, so they've I've, yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's, it's definitely uh, – I don't say a time sucker because it makes it sound like it's a bad thing because I absolutely love being a dad again because like I missed – my, my oldest son's first four years of his life with deployments and workups and all this other stuff. So I didn't get to see him really too much. So it's nice to be able to experience everything I missed. Like I miss first words, first steps, first Christmases, first everything. Right. Um, So it's nice to get there and see that. But like I said, I was on a time crunch and I wrote everything down too quickly. Um, So I apologize, ladies and gentlemen, for the names, but as before we get to that point, right. So I asked you about tuck, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you what it was like working with the late great Stephen, man. Uh, do you have any stories or any memories that come to mind? Uh, you know, when you think of the father of SpongeBob, man, um,
1: you know, he was, um, I mean, he was one of the most laid back nicest guys that uh, I've ever, ever met in the business. And, um, you know, he, I guess he, he, always, he's always been involved in the show. I guess, uh, even, you know when i when i joined the show in the fourth season he never really came into the the studio very often he was you know from my herd traveling quite a bit um but uh, they would always send him all the storyboards to kind of get his approval on and you know once every year or two you'd hear well steve doesn't want to do this with this character yeah. you know very rare you know didn't from what i gathered anyway from my lowly position i didn't hear much <laughs> about what steve did yeah. but he came he decided he wanted to come back and join us for the second film mm-hmm. and that's when we start seeing him again and we're all like oh man steve's back this is awesome and um you know just i mean he was just I'd never heard an unkind word out of the guy's mouth. He was just full of compliments and nice things to say whenever he'd see you in the hallway. There was no, I'm not, you know, there was no, I'm not talking to a production assistant. I'm not talking to a, you know, a designer or a board artist, um, you know, and he had such a great time on the second film finders from what I understand that he joined us on the series again. And, you know, the time when I would spend the most, you know, I, I would bump into him and chat with him every once in a while. I've never had any, you know, deep conversations with him or anything, but um, we would have a director lunch once a month and he would go with Vince and Mark and Sherman and Adam and um, in all the retake sessions where you look at the anime, they're just chuckling the whole time. Um, You know, occasionally he would chime in on, you know, something uh, nautical that he wanted, you know, a little closer to, you know, uh, reality, a little more accurate. But, um, you know, he, uh, you know, was always, uh, always supportive, always chuckling. And was just thrilled with, you know, what we were doing with the show, uh, you know, post post second movie. Um, You know, one of the biggest thrills I had was. Um, about a year before he passed, um he I was able to go along with him and all the other uh showrunners and directors to the Annie Awards and the Emmys. Mm-hmm. Uh and he got like a a uh he got an award at the at the Annie's um for uh, his work. And then we actually won um an Emmy for the show um before he passed as well. And um this all happened the year before he passed away. And mm-hmm. Being able to spend that time with him and see him get acknowledged and get it loved so much um was really special to see because he he deserved it. And um yeah, he was he was he was a really he was a special guy, he was a very talented guy. And um, um uh you know he Before we had the the, the Emmys, he had everybody over to his house and, you know, was walking people around and there was there was no, um, no, no pretension. There was no uh, ego. It was just, you know, um, just a really, really sweet man. So I got to ask.
0: And when he had you over, man, was it catered or was he cooking? I got to imagine somebody like that cool, probably banging out some grilled cheese sandwiches or something like that. He's like, come on over here. Look at the shit.
1: I, I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't really remember much of the food. I know that like I remember, you know, you know, his wife was like, oh, just like, oh, you know, she, Karen was, was super friendly yeah. and, um, you know, uh, uh, offering a glass of wine and all. And there was just, it was just, uh, you no, know, there was no, like, as I recall, I don't remember there being any, any help, uh, any yeah. serving anything at all, but it was, um, I don't know if it was grilled cheese, <laughs> but it was, uh, it, it, it was just like them having a few friends over, you know, um, you know, a few friends over for, you know, for cocktails or whatever. And, uh, yeah, it was great to be a part of that.
0: Well, that's cool, man. Thank you. Like I said, thank you for sharing, you know, the story RIP to Stephen. RIP to Tuck, man. Um, and as, like I said, as we start to get to the fans questions, uh, there's one thing that I, 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 I I'm so grateful that he got, and he got to see that recognition and that love, right? Because so often, you know, as we talk briefly about uh, before, you know, before we hit record and how this podcast came about, man, it was, you know, seeing those names pop up and not knowing who those names were. And then going just a little, little deeper, uh, last year when we lost Kobe Bryant, 41, and the rest of the people on that. I'm a huge basketball fan. Um, so him getting getting tragically taken away as well as everybody else He's 41 and his daughter at you know 12 or 13 whatever it was and everybody else on that helicopter just gone like that right and then i was listening to a song and i don't know if you're into hip-hop or anything like that but there's this guy named Joyner lucas and he put out the song called will and it was about will smith and about how about will smith was his biggest inspiration when he was younger he wanted to be will smith he wanted to be the fresh prince he, he saw all of this this is the man he looked up to and he had this line in there and this is this this album came out right after kobe died and it was give them a rose while they're still here right so to get to see that or get to hear that excuse me that you know he got to be remembered he got to be loved while he was here and we're talking about Stephen, not so much kobe right now because kobe knew he was loved I, I gotta imagine he knew he was loved knew he was hated but he knew he was loved Uh, But Steven specifically, man, to see, you know, the recognition from his peers, I got to imagine what you guys did, what everybody else did whenever they vote for an Annie, they vote for an Emmy that did something. And I'm pretty sure that he'll for always, no matter where he's at now, you know, spiritually, emotionally and physically, he'll always have that up here and you guys will always have that up here and the fans of this will always have that up here so you know it's nice to see that that somebody got to experience that while they were here it wasn't post humorously you know what i mean um and that's why i do this podcast man you guys had have done something obviously we've been going 20 years you know 20 plus years now at this point with with spongebob this show has meant a lot to so many people um, and I can't thank you guys one enough for working on it, but just, you know, coming on here and talking about it and then, then just putting out what you guys were talking, just what you're just talking about, putting out, you know, nothing less than, than a great episode or great content, man, because I've had fun with this show since I was very small. Now I've got an 11 year old that, you know, he's trying, he's trying to tell me he's not into cartoons. He's hitting that stage where he just wants to talk about girls and hang out with girls. And he's like, oh, cartoons are for losers. I'm like, you're going to come back to this shit in about four years. Don't give me that shit. Cause I did it too. But getting to experience these TV shows with my kids. And then, like I said, I got the three, almost three month old down there. Um, so he's going to be experiencing this. So SpongeBob is never going to go away, man. It, it's a good thing. It doesn't.
1: Yeah. I'm enjoying it, man. I'm enjoying it. I think our 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 big uh, fan base uh, is uh, our our big target demos are like the really young and college students. I think it's a really nice balance between those two very different crowds.
0: Because we're getting every joke and every reference that went when we were this tall, but now we're this tall. We're catching everything, man. It's it's and
1: fantastic. You're, and you're reading into things we may or may not be intending. So oh, I know.
0: Uh, <laughs> But uh, as, as like I said, as we start to wind down, I mean, I like to say, I like to get you guys on here and give you roses while you're still here, man. So I appreciate everything you've done, Dave, is what I'm getting at. And as we start to rotate into the fans' questions, uh, just whatever comes to your mind first, I guess, we'll go yeah. from. Okay. Right. Yeah. Favorite character. You got one?
1: Patrick.
0: Oh, great. I'm a huge Squidward. I love Patrick as well.
1: I, I love dumb humor. That's my yeah. favorite. I-, I I would love more of it um yeah patrick's always my favorite i i if i could do a dumb joke i would do i would go that way every way every time rather <laughs> crabby cat I, or uh i mean I, they're all fun fun i mean it's funny people do ask that a lot of times what's your favorite character what's your favorite character to draw mm-hmm. i think my favorite character to draw may be uh crabs actually in my least good <laughs> uh, word because squitter can be a colossal pain in the butt to get correctly you know he's yeah. just he's very he, he, he's um He's very unique. His head shape just does not really turn. We got to do a lot of little cheats to, when we rotate his head. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, um, I, you know, Patrick, I love you know scenes with Patrick and Plankton's always really fun too because it's yes. fun to play with that that angry man in that small body
0: (laughs) that really Napoleon complex. And I'm glad you brought up Mr. Krabs because Mr. Krabs is always me million dollars been my favorite episode of anything, just him. And then all the memes that have come from that specific, like somebody had one with an actual real crab claw and it was holding on to a $1 bill that was passing around. And I got to go back and find this meme. It it was just something stupid. It's it's one, two o'clock in the morning. I'm trying to go to sleep. And then I'm just scrolling through social media and I see that I bust out laughing. I'm in tears. I can't breathe. My wife thinks I'm having a heart attack. She's like, what's going on? And I'm showing her and she's like, did you really wake me up for this bullshit? And I'm like, yes, this is hilarious. So stupid humor. We were just talking about it. I love it too, man.
1: It's funny. Um, Mr. Krabs, uh, I, I popped my head when you were saying that Mr. Krabs, you know, obviously voiced by Clancy Brown. Mm. I didn't really quite make the connection Clancy Brown that that name with the Clancy Brown the actor we've seen a million times in a million films and TV shows. But I I think I kind of discovered in my head after working on the show for 10 years I discovered at one point that um, he, he was that guy, Clancy Brown and it decided to do, you know when 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 entertainment was at a premium last year in the in the pandemic and there was not a lot of original <laughs> you know, content coming out. You know, I actually watched it through with my kids again. So, like, I, I, your father loved this show. Let's watch this show. And I think we got to, like, the fourth or fifth season. I'm like, okay, guys, if you want to hit the eject button now, you can. You know, I'm going to leave this to you. And they're like, no, 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 we want to ride this through. And they're like, man, it's getting weird, Dad. Uh, yeah, I know. It is getting a little, You know, good time travel now. It's getting crazy. And, uh, no, but, I mean, they, they enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, and I was, of course, was like, hey, there's Mr. Krabs right there.
0: Uh, what they think about the ending? I'd love to hear a kid's perspective on the ending of that.
1: They, they thought it was weird. They, they were yeah. fine. I mean, they, you know, um, yeah. I mean, there was just so many checks that were written on that show, that there's no way to cash them all, you know, at any point. Yeah.
2: And, uh,
1: you know, I think, I think if nothing else, it served, it served as like a, 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 a cautionary tale for for other people. Um, uh shows that uh, build a mythology like that uh that you know that uh that build a canon that they can't just uh you know they gotta track all that stuff and 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 make sure that they're you know coming around to it again they're not just creating mystery just to create mystery but yeah
0: i mean another big another another big one would be uh, a lot of fans were upset with the way the game of thrones ended. i don't know if you were a game of thrones fan but I was well, thoroughly it. enjoyed with the entire the entire. I mean, I feel like they could have done something different, but that's just me nitpicking. Overall, like I said, the sh- I couldn't have done any better if they would have gave me a billion dollars say, "Hey, finish this shit." I'm like, man, yeah. no, I'm not cashing this check because I'm not gonna I'm not gonna piss anybody off. So
1: I may whine if I lost your Game of Thrones, but I mean, I'll watch them again. They were just great rides. I mean, I they were. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's gotta be tough to land a show that you've you know, been building for whatever, five seasons. And yeah. with so with such a broad story with so many characters. I don't know. I mean, I don't know how you do that perfectly. So I mean,
0: the only people that seem to have done it has been uh, Marvel at uh, Disney. I mean, they seem to be wrapping everything up with a bow, something that you forgot about. And, you know, offshoot of a movie,
1: you know? god what a headache that must be to track all that all those storylines all those details like all i mean the, the canon that they they create and being able because you, you new movies come out and you see all these fans saying yeah because my my fam my kids are big into the marvel Cinematic universe you know all these little details are dropping from other episodes oh that means this this means this all oh, they're referencing this like my god that's got to be a lot of work and that what a headache and that's why i'm so thankful i work on spongebob where you know, we really have no canon at all it, that, that we we basically hit the reset button with every single episode um, well, as much as fans would like to create canon, which they do. Um, oh,
0: they, trust not, me, they do I'm <laughs> building it. Well, I'm pretty sure if you're if you're, you know, loaded like Kevin Feige is and then you can just go. Oh yeah. peel off them hundreds. You could put a whole bunch of nerds in one little boardroom and it looks like a serial killer in there with everything pointing to this and circled and all that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But, uh, so we got, uh, you said, Patrick, so if you had your one last meal, right. And -hmm. you had to choose the chum bucket or the crusty crab, where are you going and what are you ordering?
1: I'm intrigued by chumbalaya. (laughs) At the <laughs> because i'm a big jambalaya fan yeah uh, i mean and, and that crusty crab was too obvious a choice right i mean you gotta like yeah i mean i'm sure it's a great pat. I mean, fan like, movie. i'm gonna really digress here but uh, we uh we were on the second movie you know they had all that live action stuff they did at the end and we need they needed a uh, live action crabby patty well, um, you know, Steve had always maintained that um, he was vegetarian and that the Krabby Patty had no meat in it. And uh, that was always his thing. Um, so it was gonna be a, some sort of veggie based burger. Yeah. And they were trying to create something that looked like that could be the Krabby Patty. And there was a day where we were doing character layout and we had a, this big kitchen where we had all this food stocked in there. And one day we opened up the fridge and there was a like a cookie sheet just full of like potential Krabby patties that were just laying out there. And they all just looked so nasty. They're all like a like a, a shade of like you know gross green. And I, I don't think they ended up with any of them at all, but they were like kind of exploring what they want to look go for yeah. with the look of it. And yeah, I think it was a tough spot they were in where they didn't want the, the Krabby Patty to look like it was meat-based, but they also didn't want it to look repulsive either, that people would actually want to eat this thing. Um, but no, as far as what I would eat, I, I don't know. I mean, I would,
2: know, I,
1: if I'm, if I'm fortunate enough to like uh, stumble into bikini bottom, you know, for a few hours, you know, I'm going to go for it. I'm, I'm ordering the chambalaya. I want to know how Plankton does with the Creole food.
0: Man, I got to imagine that's going to be a gut bomb and you're going to be shitting your guts out. Oh. I always,
1: I, I do always laugh when I see the, the menu in the background. I see that chambalaya <laughs> towards the bottom. Like, uh, that's great.
0: Now, uh, this one, I, I, I think it'd be fun because you've already so you can't you can't use Spongebob because he's already got a show yeah. and you can't use Patrick because he's already got his show. Yeah. But if you had the keys to the kingdom, who are you taking out of the show and given their own show?
1: I do not have the keys to the kingdom, as everybody knows. So start with that. So okay. I have no say in this matter whatsoever. But if you did. Uh, if I did. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, trying to think of all our periphery characters. We um, got Bubble Bass. We got Perch. We um, got Larry. Um, you know, Mrs. Puff is, is kind of fun. Um, you know, uh, you know, Bubble Bass is, is is fun, but he's kind of like a stereotype. You know, I mean, I have incidentals that I like too that we use. They're just background characters, but they don't have you know, um personalities yet or, or identities yet. They just we just place them, pluck, you know, plop them down wherever we want to pluck them down. Mm-hmm. Uh maybe Mrs. Puff, because I'm, I'm not sure who I, you know. I mean it'd be interesting. We haven't really ever explored her backstory at all or, or her world at all, other than just, you know, being, you know, uh, you know, you know, kind of crabby and her, her kind of suggested, you know, side romance with Mrs. Uh, Mr. Krabs. Uh, She's the
0: B. Arthur of SpongeBob. Whenever I, whenever I see Mrs. Puff, I just think of Dorothy from the Golden Girls.
1: Yeah. Her, vo- her voice has that, like that, uh,
0: that shrillness.
1: Yeah. not sure what that is, but <laughs> yeah, there's a similarity there, but, uh, yeah, that's, it's a, that's a good question. Um, uh, yeah. I always like to go for the less obvious choices with things. And so probably, I mean, I think I'm not sure which characters are not going to have spinoffs and that's not based on me knowing anything. It's yeah. just like, I can't imagine they won't do all of our mains at some point. Yeah. Um, but that's just me just shooting, you know, I I have no knowledge of anything, yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah. Yeah. But uh, it's funny like um there are incidentals that we just know by number because we have a big sheet of incidental characters that are just identified by number yeah and um and we just you know fill out scenes with them and label them by their numbers you know for animation for overseas and but some some fans know them by name and um for years they were calling our incidental number one fred and we i'm not aware that we ever called him fred before but eventually the writers and showrunners kind of succumbed to it and they just made number one, you know, incidental number one, Fred. And yeah. then on top of that, they tied him down as the My Leg Guy because before we would swap out the My Leg Guy for anybody we wanted. I mean, it was incidental like 107, one, you know, it was, it, whoever we wanted was the yeah. My Leg Guy. And, but now we've got that locked down as, you know, Fred, Fred as the My <laughs> Leg Guy. Um, and, I, you know, I know that there's there's been a little bit more naming of characters that used to be just numbered recently. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't know if that's going to become a thing where you just start giving names to people. But uh, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, the, we had a, our social marketing team did something fun uh, a year or two ago where they were making fun of the fact that we refer to the same character by different names and in living different lifestyles from episode to episode, like one episode he's married, one episode he's homeless, one episode he, you know, the, 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 you know and we're calling a person by different names and they did this whole, they were like, what's going on here? This is a mystery. We got to solve where this character is, you know, is he going by a, a secret name? Is he living a secret lifestyle? You know, and, and they're really fun little short little bits. They did kind of mocking the fact that, you know, we don't really have any continuity or identifying yeah. background characters at all.
0: All right, and this is the last question, man. And this one's a good one. Uh, if you got it, now it's a hypothetical because you have to assume that everybody's technically seen SpongeBob. With you know, with a few exceptions like somebody that just doesn't have TV wherever they're at, I got to imagine that SpongeBob is just as well known as Coca-Cola, Batman, Superman, and all these other things. You see a yellow sponge, you're like, "Oh shit, that's SpongeBob!" Right? Yeah. So, keeping that in mind, with this question. If you had to, and this is how I get a get around saying, "Hey, what's your favorite episode ever?" Uh, if you had to talk to somebody, so say me and you were talking. I don't, I don't know anything about SpongeBob. If you had to recommend one episode that you would say, "Hey, you will love this show because of this one episode." What is that one episode recommendation that you would give to somebody that's never seen SpongeBob?
1: Um. I'm going to have to recall the actual titles of the it early. It's not going to be an episode I worked on. I, I, I typically say chocolate with nuts as my favorite episode, but I think like an episode, the, the one with the box. And I, oh, I'm
0: the imagination one.
1: I'm ashamed to say, I don't know the actual title of that one. Um, or the paper. I like the real simple ones where they had like just the, the gum wrapper paper or the uh, the box they're hiding in the whole time. I think that encapsulates the silliness of, of our show. and. Um, the, just the, how funny the characters are with the most non-existent of premises. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, I think those were home runs. I think they really captured what the show was about. Was it called Idiot Box? The Idiot Box, yeah, that's it. And then was that the one, It was the, maybe the rapper or the, um, uh, I'm sure the SpongeBob fan base would be outraged by my Forgetting this right now but
0: oh man they're yeah. nerds anyways i mean um, they're only going to write you on a couple hundred tweets and
1: you should have said this you should have well, said that they're early season episodes that I, I i was not a part of but i love them um
2: yeah.
1: and uh but those the, i think those you know just the like i said that the pure charm of those the silliness of those um they're they're genuinely funny to anybody that watches them not just kids yeah um and they're very light on um you know storyline it just it's just silly and and funny for 11 minutes and it's a fun ride
0: it really is man and this has been a fun ride as well dave i hope you had fun man because i know i did it was cool getting to talk finally to somebody in the spongebob cast man i really enjoyed it
1: thanks so much for asking julian had a great time
0: no problem man well he's been first off I forgot to, to plug. Is there anything that you're working on? Obviously, we know, the Patrick show, Camp Corals out. Is there anything that's big coming up that you say, hey, make sure you check the date for this, that and the other. Anything coming down the pike that we should know about?
1: You know what? Uh, we are doing more Camp Corals, more Patrick show and more SpongeBob. All three shows are happening and we are making more SpongeBob content than ever before. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, the SpongeBob universe is expanding. Um, there's gonna be no shortage of content for people to watch Um, and hopefully there are not going to be large gaps in time that the fans will have to wait for episodes because we are building bigger and bigger crew so um, get excited because there's some really funny stuff coming your way beautiful and Dave where can they find you if they want to say hey this was the episode you were talking
0: about or hey Dave I love what you're doing man where can they find you
1: uh, well, my Twitter is probably the place I'm, I interact with the fans the most. Um, and let you make sure, Mancy <laughs> Rains is my handle on um, Twitter. Um, let's see here. It's uh, M-A-N-C-I-E-R-A-I-N-E-S.
0: Beautiful. And we always put the people's profiles and whatever else they want us. They're working on a show. They're working on something. We always make sure we put it in the description. So there will be a link straight in the description bottle where you go and find where, I, where Dave's at, actually. you know, And you say, hey, I like this. I like that, man. Hey, I love and can't wait to see what we're coming up with next. Dave, it's been a blast, man. He's been Dave. I've been joining. This has been another piece of your childhood. Good night. Thanks again for checking out the What's In My Head podcast you're digging what you're hearing, leave us a five-star rating. That will help other fans of animation and pop culture find the show. Don't forget to smash that subscribe button, tell a friend, and I'll see you guys and gals next week. Good night.